Thank you for tuning in this morning to the worship broadcast of Bowglade Alliance Church. Bowglade Alliance Church is located at 425 East Canal Street North in Bowglade uh, with live worship services every Sunday at 11 a.m. For more information, visit us online at www.bowgladealliance.org. Now let's join Pastor Kevin for this morning's message. Well, this is going to be the uh, second part of a two-part sermon. If you missed last week, that's okay. Uh, You won't be lost. Let me go ahead and give you some of the background, what on earth is happening here. Uh, Paul has been in Ephesus on numerous occasions. In fact, Paul was the one who founded the church at Ephesus. He was the one who proclaimed the gospel for the very first time. The one who, who developed, who discipled the new believers, who raised up the leaders of the church and has been working with them, even in the face of hostile persecution from the Jewish religious leaders and those uh, others in the community that were against this new teaching that's going forth. Uh, Paul has been working hand-in-hand with them. He's been back and forth a couple times. This most recent stint in Ephesus has been over three years. And you can just imagine walking with somebody, uh, like in the trenches, doing the work of the Lord day after day together, that over three years they built some significant relationships. But Paul was not called to pastor a church for 20 years or 30 years or till retirement. He was called as an apostle to keep going to the next task and the next task to which the Lord had called him. And at this particular point, he's saying goodbye. He's saying goodbye to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And this is more than just a sweet farewell. This is a time of reflection on what his ministry has, was meant not only to do, but to model for them as a church and also the marching orders the warnings and the instruction for the elders of the church at Ephesus as Paul is now moving on and he will never see them again, what do they have to hold on to? What is their responsibility? How do they lead the church well with the present and future dangers that will face them? And so this is what Paul is doing here. Uh, As you heard, as we read the passage earlier, um, there's a ship that Paul and his companions have contracted to get them to Jerusalem. And so it's stopping at multiple ports along the way, this merchant vessel that has to drop off cargo and people everywhere it goes. Uh, And they have this multi-day layover in this particular city that's a good easy distance from Ephesus. And so the elders of the Ephesian church have come out to meet him here. And so this is what we're looking at. I want to remind you, and especially for those who weren't here last week, to catch you up on some of the elements we've looked at already in the text. Last week, we looked at three specific areas that Paul highlighted in terms of his ministry, what he was trying to accomplish while he was in Ephesus. And so these fall under three main categories. And the first is this, that as Paul reminded them of the work that he was tending to, it was those things that all believers were commissioned to, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that Jesus had commanded them. And so as he's recounting for them the work that he did endlessly for both Jews and Gentiles, as he proclaimed the gospel, this was modeled for them, done alongside them, and is expected for them to continue now that Paul is gone. Paul also demonstrated the outlook that Christians are called to have as they serve the Lord 
in this world. Paul made uh, you know, numerous accounts in this very passage, this very time with the Ephesian elders, reminding them of all the hardships that he continually faces. Now, that's different than you and I going on Facebook and watching people complain all day or being the one that complains all day about hard times. Paul's not looking for sympathy. Uh, Paul is not looking to boast about his sufferings. What Paul is doing here is demonstrating that the life that God has called us to, the proclamation of the gospel into territories that do not adopt the gospel comes with danger, comes with pushback, comes even with persecution. And despite that persecution, we're not called to back down from our proclamation of the gospel because we hold the truth before us. What is the truth? That this life that we live now in the body is not all that there is. In fact, this is that time and space that we occupy until the greater comes. When Jesus returns and all is made new and there's no more sin and pain and brokenness and death and we see God face to face and spend eternity with him on the new earth. Uh, that's what we're looking forward to. That's what Paul was looking forward to. That's what Jesus prepared his followers for when he said, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and nothing more. Instead, respect God, who could kill the body and send your soul to hell. Jesus is making a point. There are more important things than just preserving this life a little longer because the best is yet to come. And God has that in store for us. So therefore, don't back down, don't shrink away regardless of what you face as you live out God's will in your life. And so that's the second thing. Here's the third thing. Paul urged them, and we're going to see this more as he develops it in our passage today, but Paul urged them to remain in the truth, which he had faithfully trained them in for the entirety of his ministry there among them. He taught them sound doctrine, right belief, and he refuted bad doctrine, those, those teachings that came in that were contrary to the gospel, that were contrary to what Jesus had taught, those dangerous ideologies that slip in and draw people away from the truth. Paul had taught correct doctrine and had refuted bad doctrine as he ministered there. And now as he's leaving, he is talking with the elders and he's reminding them, this wasn't the apostolic ministry. This is the elder ministry, the pastor ministry, the shepherd ministry that you will continue. And these are important for us to take a look at. These are, these are important exhortations to the Ephesian elders, but they're important exhortations to us today as well. Because false teachings and all these threats that faced the church 2,000 years ago continue to face the church today in various forms. And so again, it is the responsibility, not just of the pastor, but all of the elders to be able to protect the church in this way. And there's responsibility on the part of the church and how to be led and how to cling to the truth as it's been taught to them. And so we'll take a look at some of that today as Paul reveals that. So as we continue on in our passage today, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 20? We're going to be in Acts 20, starting in verse 28, so about halfway through our passage. 
Here's what it says. We're going to be reading at this juncture verses 28 through 32. So Acts 20, starting at verse 28. Here's what it says. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you, each of you, night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so here Paul again is talking to the Ephesian elders and he's making one thing very clear. The wolves are coming. Paul has no doubt. The wolves are coming. In fact, if you take a look at it, he kind of gives you two dynamics here. He talks about those that are coming in from the outside And he's also talking about those that are rising up from within, those who perhaps they trust, those who perhaps they're friends with, those who who perhaps are part of their fellowship for a long period of time, who their guard is down with. And yet even from among some of those, false teachers will arise who are perverting the truth and leading people away from the true gospel that the Lord has given us. And this theme that we see, or this metaphor that's used in this passage, I think is a very apt one, and one we see over and over again throughout the Bible, and that is this metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep. It's a common biblical metaphor, and we've seen it in kind of a couple different ways if we look through the New Testament. Jesus is the good shepherd, we are the sheep. When it comes to talking about the church, multiple times we'll see that Jesus is the chief shepherd, and under him he has appointed the pastors and the elders to serve as under-shepherds, again, tending to the flock of God. And, you know, if you like the outdoors and holding a staff, that sounds great, but when we really think about what he's saying here, that role, how important it is. Um, Paul uses that imagery in our passage today because he's reminding the Ephesian elders of their most important role in regard to the church. Elders are charged with shepherding the flock. By the way, in case you're wondering who our elders are in this church, I hope you know that already. But we've got Pete, we've got Matt, and we've got John, and all three of them are here today. So keep looking over at them as we go through the passage today. So if if elders and the pastor are shepherds of the flock, what does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, For what reason is the church in need of shepherds? Aren't we all Jesus' sheep? What's the point of having human shepherds among us? So we're going to explore this a little bit together today as Paul reminds the Ephesian elders and us. But a good passage to turn to is this, and I'll have it up on the screen if you don't actually want to turn there. But this is from a different apostle, the Apostle Peter. He writes this in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, 
but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. I want to just make a few brief observations about Peter's words here, which I believe are completely in line with what Paul is saying to the Ephesian elders. Here's just some of them. That shepherds prioritize the welfare of the sheep over themselves. Shepherds prioritize the welfare of the sheep over themselves. And we see this in various different ways in shepherds, and we expect this in various different ways from our pastor and elders. Human shepherds serve under the authority of and the service to the chief shepherd, Jesus, who holds shepherds accountable and rewards faithfulness. So, yes, the Bible gives instructions for what is a qualification for an elder as a shepherd of the God's people, and they're held accountable to the Lord, who is the chief shepherd, and their shepherd as well. Those under the care of the shepherds uh, also have a responsibility to be led by the shepherds, knowing that their shepherds are there to care for them and lead them in Christ. This is probably a foreign concept to many of us, and, and maybe we don't talk about this enough, or we just don't know how to practice this well, but our shepherds, our elders, are called to lead, and all of us have a responsibility to submit to that leadership, which God has instituted for our own good. And finally, in this passage, we see all of this is set in place by Jesus because there is an enemy. A roaring lion, according to Peter, or according to Paul, wolves, savage wolves among. Have you uh, familiar with some of Aesop's fables? Have you read them to your kids or your grandkids? Here's one of them that I found this week that I found rather interesting and uh, certainly in line with what we're talking about here. This is Aesop's fable of the wolf and the shepherd. Here's what it says. A wolf had been prowling around a flock of sheep for a long time, and the shepherd watched very anxiously to prevent him from carrying off a lamb. But the wolf did not try to do any harm. Instead, he seemed to be helping the shepherd take care of the sheep. At last, the shepherd got so used to seeing the wolf about that he forgot how wicked he could be. One day, he even went so far as to leave the flock in the wolf's care while he went on an errand. But when he came back and saw how many of the flock had been killed and carried off, he knew how foolish to trust a wolf. Man, if there's not lessons in there. You know, I think when we think about the roaring lion that is at work 
opposed to God and his will and his church and his mission. When we think about the savage wolves that attack the church both from without and within, I think that maybe now more than any other time in in church history, we've become very complacent, very undiscerning, not really worried, not really paying attention to the wolves that are at our door trying to bring teaching in that is not in line with the scriptures. And how easy it is for that complacency to turn into destruction in the life of the church and in God's people. And so one of the roles of the elders, perhaps the primary role for elders and for the pastor is this, to protect the flock from false teaching. Again, Paul's words in light of this, starting in Acts 20, verse 28, keep watch, he says to the elders, over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So here's a question. Is this a warranted concern? Can believers really be lured away by false teaching? You know, I think that we, we, we proclaim this mantra of once saved, always saved, and uh, you know, we, we, we don't think about it as a real danger, these false ideologies, these false gospels that are in our midst that could lead people astray. Is this really a concern for Christians? Is this really a reality to which the elders and the leaders of the church need to defend? Well, along with those two passages we've already read, let me add one or two more. Here's Paul speaking to the churches at Galatia. Uh, several churches within this region that he's been ministering to for some time. And here's what he says to them. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Let them be eternally separated from God. Verse 9, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Let them be damned. Let them be eternally separated from God. Strong words? Yeah. Why? Because what's at stake is the ultimate salvation of God's people. The ones that Jesus died and rose again to save. Those who started along the path and are now abandoning the true gospel for a false one because these wolves have come in and they have believed what they are selling them. Here's another one, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2. Paul is speaking to a church that he himself planted again five years ago. And now he's writing to them. And here's what he reminds them. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, 
which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. And so, friends, first of all, let me go ahead and dispel the myth that our salvation in Christ is not about I came to the front during an altar call. I said a prayer once. Um, I grew up in church. Therefore, I'm okay. Now, God has promised that our salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Romans 10.9 says this. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you surrender to the lordship of Jesus and you believe the gospel that his death and resurrection secured your salvation, you're saved. And we receive the Holy Spirit, a seal guaranteeing our salvation. And even though we sin, even though we mess up, we fall on our face, God will never say, oh, that was one too many, and take our salvation away. You don't have to earn your salvation. The better Christians, the ones who follow the rules better, don't have a higher place in heaven. They don't earn more salvation. God doesn't love them more. But here's what the Bible does warn against. That if we take the truth of the gospel, what Jesus has done, and our, our, our commitment to the lordship of Christ, and we say, nope, I'm exchanging that, and I'm going to embrace this instead, then we have given up, thrown off, turned away from our salvation to something which is a lie. And we see this over and over and over and over again throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament especially. And so this is important that we know the truth and cling to it. And as Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders, he's reminding them of the significance of their role in caring for those sheep. And I don't know if you've studied sheep they are funny creatures. In fact, if we really did, we'd probably be a little bit offended at uh, our ref referencing us as sheep. But here's what sheep tend to do. They tend to fall into little areas where they can't get out of. They tend to walk right into danger. They tend to walk away from the flock and get lost. They do stupid things. And if I'm going to evaluate my life, yeah, I'm a sheep. I do stupid things. I make the same mistakes over and over again. I understand why God has given me this, 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 this label of sheep and I desperately need a shepherd. The truth of the matter is that it's comforting knowing that God has, is, is caring for us as a shepherd and that he has established shepherds in our midst to care for us. Because if we're being honest, it's very easy for us to fall into a little ravine, to wander away unintentionally from the truth. Uh, and need to be brought back. And God has put these safeguards in place to care for his people, to care for his church, because he loves us. And so Paul is leaving the Ephesian elders, never to see them again. And he does a couple things here. He reminds them of their responsibility as shepherds. He reminds them of those who would come and distort the gospel, bring aberrant teaching into the church, and lure people away unto themselves. Can I tell you one of the prominent ways I see this? Do you know that if you went to Barnes & Noble in Wellington or anywhere else and you go to the Christian section, do you know that 90% of the books you'll find there are heresy or aberrant teachings? They're garbage. 
that distracts from the truth of the gospel or leads you to a different gospel. 90%. I, told, I tell this story all the time, too. When I first came here, I purged even our church, Belglade Alliance Church, of books that existed on our property that were heretical teaching. Even Mike came and we found more. We had a scavenger hunt of all the books we were going to throw away from this church. Uh, I joke around uh, sometimes reminding people of this, that there was one book that somehow persisted. And Mike and I would, uh, would joke around hiding it in each other's libraries until we found it. So I miss Mike, in case you didn't know. And so he's reminding them of what's coming. He also predicts wolves who will come in from outside and those also that will rise up from their own number. Can you look around at each other for a minute? Do you know each other? Do you trust each other? Can you imagine if a false teacher arose from in our midst? Would you be quick to discern that? Would you be quick to jump to that conclusion? Why? Because you've done life together for so long. Because you've been in the trenches together. Because you know each other. And so your guard is down like in Aesop's fable that shepherd who left his sheep to the wolf. And finally, Paul reminds them to be on guard the way the shepherd in Aesop's fable should have remained on guard. So let's name some of these threats. In Paul's day, there were numerous threats to the church of God. There were Judaizers. This was probably the, the group that he contended with most in his writing and in his ministry. These Judaizers, they led Gentile believers to believe that in order to continue in their salvation in Jesus, they had to convert to Judaism, become circumcised, and keep the entire law of Moses in order to continue in their salvation. This is another gospel. There were those on the other end of the spectrum, proponents of what we call antinomianism, who argued that freedom in Christ meant freedom from any moral expectations whatsoever. Um, there's no accountability. There's no expectation on the part of God. We said our prayer, you know, we came forward at an altar call, and now I can live my life however I want, and God doesn't care. He loves me anyway. This is a, this is a false teaching that Paul contends with over and over in the New Testament. There were those who claimed things about Jesus that just simply were not true, who denied something significant about him or blended the truth of Jesus with other non-biblical ideas. And we see this in 1 John and in other places as well. Here's what I want to let you know. It's easy to take a look back and say, wow, look at those things that Paul and the other church leaders had to deal with. But the reality is that all three of those categories of false teaching exist in the church today. All three of those are threats that face American Christians in 2023, even here in our midst. And we need to be aware of the heresies and the aberrant teachings that are around. And so Paul's instruction to the elders in Ephesus is still relevant to the church today. I want to give you some encouragement, though. How did the Ephesians do? So Paul gave them this, 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 this long farewell address. How did they do? Did they follow his instructions? And we know from Revelation chapter 2 how they did. In fact, uh, we see seven letters or letters to seven different churches in Revelation. And Revelation chapter 2 begins with Ephesus. And while they didn't get everything quite right, there were things that Jesus held them 
uh, accountable for. Here's what it says in verses one through three. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Isn't it amazing? This is written decades after Paul's farewell to the elders. And here's what God sums up by prophecy to John that this church in Ephesus took Paul's instruction to heart and they guarded themselves, clinging to the gospel, discerning truth from error and standing firm, not allowing those wolves to devour the flock when they came. What a wonderful picture. And as we consider Paul's warning to the Ephesian elders, here are some things that we need to consider as well. To our elders, I have to single you out. Pete, Matt, John, where are you? Well, he was here. Sorry. Oh, there's John. He was hiding in the back. To our elders, be on guard, gentlemen. Know the truth. It's here. Know it. Cling to it. Teach it. Teach it to your family. Teach it to others. Teach it every chance you could get. Refute error whenever it rears its head. Defend the gospel without compromise. Always. Correct error gently. Error happens, especially as our flock tries to reason with the scriptures and understand the truth. And there are outside influences. Be gentle, but correct firmly and biblically. If false teachings are being espoused, do not delay in addressing them and do it with wisdom and prayer. To our congregation, guess what? You're not off the hook. This wasn't a sermon to three men in our sanctuary today. You have a responsibility too, which we saw in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11, right? Study the scriptures. Study them well. If you do a five-minute devotional every morning, you are not studying the scriptures enough. You are not going to be able to discern truth from error when error raises its head. Study the scriptures. Study them well. I encourage you to study them alone. I also encourage you to study them with others. Because here's the thing, we could read the Bible and think we understand rightly, and our interpretation can be off. And then we get together to study the scriptures with a few of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they correct us on something, and then, oh, okay. And so us studying the Bible together helps us to avoid errors that creep up. So study the scriptures, study them alone and together. Allow yourself to be led by your pastor and elders. But even in this, discern the value of their teachings by the scriptures. You know, we use the Bereans as an example often. We read about them in Acts not too long ago. These are Jewish, faithful Jewish believers. And Paul came and proclaimed the gospel. And what he had to say was great news. And they wanted to embrace it. But before they did, they went back to the scriptures to test everything Paul said to make sure it was true. Friends, I love you. I appreciate the trust you have placed in me. I have been here seven and a half years. But I charge you, exhort you, urge you to check everything I say to you against the scriptures. Know the gospel and cling to it. What is the gospel? 
that because of our sin, we were separated from God, destined to be apart from him forever. But by his grace and through faith, we acquire salvation because Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins completely. And he rose again from the dead to secure our right standing before God. It's nothing that we did. It's all of what he did. That's the gospel. There is no other. Cling to it. By it, you are saved. And real threats do exist everywhere in our world. Voices that sound good. Voices that seem well-informed. Voices that sound really eloquent. Maybe even more eloquent than your pastor. But teach lies and seek to devour the flock. And we need to discern them. As we conclude this passage together, we read these verses, verses 33 through 38. He says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to his ship. You know, pastors and elders, they're charged with defending the flock from false teaching, but they're also charged with caring for the flock sacrificially just as Jesus did. In Paul's situation, he worked hard on his own to earn a living so that this fledgling church did not have the burden of supporting him financially in his ministry. He took on a second job making money for him and his companions so they wouldn't be a burden to this church. As we consider the implications of Paul's words, there are certainly situations in every church, including ours, where leaders must sacrifice their own comfort or their own resources or their own will for the sake of the flock. You know, as humans, your leaders are, no, are not exempt from the wanting things our way, but sometimes that means giving up our way or our will for those that we serve. Here's my prayer for our church, that our elders would be found faithful in this, that eldership be more than a title, more than a position of authority, more than a matter of pride, but instead that it is a way for them to serve those that the Lord has led them to love. I don't think it is any accident that these three men serve as our elders. I don't. I believe they're answering a call that the Lord has put on their life. It comes with tremendous responsibility. And they are chosen by God to serve during this season of life. Jesus talks about leadership in this way. Matthew 20, 25 to 28, he says, Jesus called them together, them being his disciples, and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself was the model of leadership serving those who, they, who, who are under his care. And we have to do the same, our pastors and elders. Our elders must love the church as Christ did, sacrificially. Further, my prayer is that for our congregation is this, that they will recognize that by being here, we are called to commit one to another, to the local body of Christ, that by it, God will grow us in our discipleship, our ministry to one another, 
and our mission to the, to the world. The elders have been established for your good, and therefore my prayer is that our church would pray for its leaders. When was the last time you prayed for your elders? For Pete, for John, for Matt, in their particular role as elder of this church. When was the last time you prayed? When was the last time you prayed for me as your pastor? When was the last time you prayed for the deaconesses? When was the last time you prayed for our Awana leaders even, or our youth group leaders? Friends, I don't say that to shame you, but to remind you of your responsibility as part of this congregation to lift up, to support, to encourage, to pray for those who God has appointed in leadership in this church. So therefore, my prayer is that our church would pray for its leaders, encourage its leaders, and when necessary, even challenge its leaders to fulfill their biblical commission. We, need, we all need all of us, and by God's grace, he has provided us as a family in such a way that we can care for one another as we live out his mission in this world.